Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. It's Bullseye. My next guest is a man named Greg Broussard, better known as the Egyptian lover. He's a DJ, a producer, a rapper from time to time. He came up in the early 1980s with the legendary L.A. party-throwing crew Uncle Jam's Army. They were in many ways responsible for hip-hop in the Southern California area, and they shared the bill with acts as big as Run DMC. And when we talked back in 2018, he was working on his 10th album, mixing Kraftwerk, Prince, and a little bit of G-Funk. But if there's one thing that defines the Egyptian lover, it is his mastery of probably the most iconic instrument in hip-hop, the Roland TR-808. If you don't know that drum machine by name, you have heard it in literally thousands of songs. Egyptian Lover still performs around the world today. He's recording new music, touring the country. He still brings his 808 with him wherever he goes. Let's listen to a classic Egyptian Lover track. This one's called I'm Killing It. I'm killing it. Egyptian lover, welcome to Bullseye. It's great to have you on the show. Oh man, it's great to be here. So, your instrument of choice, above all else, is a drum machine called the 808. Yes. Can you tell me what that drum machine is first, for folks who don't know? Well, the creator ran Roland. He he owned Roland. He made a drum machine so you can practice. You know, your bass guitar, your guitar, your piano, whatever it was. It was that they they practice back in the day he made a drum machine to sound like a real drum so you can practice to it but it didn't sound like a real drum so he thought it was a flop and when he put it out it didn't sell very well when it first came out because it was kind of expensive but when it, it reduced in price that's when all the DJs and you know everybody started buying them and, and that's when it became popular and because it didn't sound like a real drum was what really made it popular I mean you had a, a kick that had a decay on it to make the, the bass go boom instead of just a regular boom. And the snare sounded like a little toy trash can or something. It had a cowbell that was really nice. It had a hand clap on it, which was really nice with built-in reverb <laughs> for some of them. And a hi-hat that was real small and tiny and had toms on it. I mean, it was a rim shot. It was it's just incredible when you put all of them together. And when I first heard it, I didn't know it was a drum machine. I thought it was just a drum maybe different mics toy mics or something and i met this one guy named africa islam 
And I was like, wow, the name Africa is. And I was like, Africa Bambata, you know, how'd you get that name? He said, well, my friend, well, who I call my dad is Africa Bambata. I said, oh, really? Um, what kind of drum did they use to make Planet Rock? And he said, it wasn't a drum, it was a drum machine. I'm like, oh, really? And right then and there, I'm thinking to myself, I need to buy a drum machine. <laughs> he said, yeah, it's called the Roland TR-808, and they have them down at the, the, music, the music store. So the next day, I went to the music store, and the clerk helped me program Planet Rock in the 808. Then I changed the beat and made it sound like a different song. And people start gathering around me in, in the music store, like, wow, that's pretty cool. That's, and to me, it sounded like another record already. So I bought it right then and there and, and went home and just programmed it full of beats, brought it to my next party, played it, and everybody went crazy. So you were already DJing by the time you got your hands oh, yeah, on the I drum machine. Oh, yeah, I was pretty much the, the number one DJ in L.A. <laughs> when I got the drum machine. <laughs> so the party idea was at the L.A. Sports Arena with 10,000 people, and I played Planet Rockin' on the Breakdown. I played the 808, and I was kind of scared scared like will they keep dancing to a drum machine or you know i'm kind of nervous Ten thousand people and a lot of gangsters in there as well and so when i started at the 808 nobody stopped dancing they kept dancing and then i changed the beat up a little bit and they kept dancing and a few people were saying what, what record is that what record is that i'm like yeah i got them because they don't know it's a drum machine even the owner of uncle jam ran up on the stage and said man that's a nice record where, where'd you get that record from i said it's a drum machine i was like what and i pointed to it and he looked at me like I said, we need to make a record. And that's when we went in the studio and made records. Let's hear a little bit of the song that uh, changed your life in a way, uh, Planet Rock by Africa Bambata and yes. Soul Sonic Force. So do you remember when you first heard that record? Yes, I was um, actually selling mixtapes at this record store in Long Beach. Me and my friend Snake Puppy were selling mixtapes with our raps on there. And um, it just came in that day, and we put it on to see what it sounded like. And I was like, whoa, that sounded like Kraftwerk. And I'm like, but the beat is more funky, you know, it got, you got more bass to it. And so I fell in love with it. Like, that's like the black Kraftwerk sound. And I instantly fell in love with the sound. I mean... I loved a lot of music back then, but I fell in love with Planet Rock, and I knew that that's the kind of music I wanted to make. What kind of mixtapes were you making? Were you just looping breaks? Or? Rap, I was pause button mixtapes, so let's say I had Cameo Shake Your Pants, and um, I had one turntable at home and one tape deck, and so I would grab the breakdown of, of Shake Your Pants, so it went like, shake your pants, shake, 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 then start the record over. And so my mixtape was like that throughout the whole tape. So do you remember any of your verses from back then? Man, one like, my name is Greg, but they call me brother. I'm better known as the Egyptian lover. I'm six feet one and so fine with a hairy chest that'll blow your mind. <laughs> my name is Greg, but I like to say I may be sweet, but I sure ain't gay. It's because I got style and I got class and I like a girl with a pretty <laughs> and everybody at my school bought one of my mixtapes. I mean, I was walking around <laughs> school with a thousand dollars in my pocket back then in 1979, 1980. It was it was amazing. 
<laughs> Were you recording them on a like a cassette recorder, like a two track or something? Yeah, I didn't have a microphone, so I put the headphones in the mic jack and it worked. And I was singing the, the raps with the microphone, and it was pretty cool. And I had bounce rock skate roll instrumental playing while I was doing it, and I made a pause button mix of that so it can be longer. And I made like a fifteen minute long rap. Were you also? Uh, were you also dancing back then? Oh, yeah. I was dancing, pop-locking with them, doing the gigolo. I, I was in a gigolo contest. I got second place. <laughs> so dancing was, was everything. Music was everything to me. What was the gigolo? The gigolo is like you just move your shoulder side to side and you rock. But I was adding more to it, dipping down on the ground, laying on the floor, doing it, getting up on the girl and doing it. It was, it was pretty cool. <laughs> so uh, how did you become the biggest DJ in Los Angeles? By joining Uncle Jam's army. So they already had a following. Tell me what they were, because I think a lot of folks who aren't from L.A. Right. might never have heard of them, even though they're sort of one of the building blocks of L.A. hip-hop. Right. Um, they were the hu a huge dance pr promotion team who promoted their parties via flyers in your hand at your high school, doing high school lunch dances, giving flyers away there. All the record stores had the flyers. We had posters on all the poles. We had radio commercials on the radio. So everywhere you went, you went to Venice Beach, we were there handing out flyers. You go down Crenshaw Boulevard at night cruising, we had flyers over there. We had posters all down the street. And Roger Clayton, rest in peace, um, he was the mastermind behind it. So he had an idea, let's do like this area. So let's pick an area, let's, uh, like Glendale. Let's do all the high school lunch dances in Glendale to promote this one Holiday Inn party in Glendale. Then the Holiday Inn party would promote the next party, which is a bigger a bigger place to double the people. And we'll go, you know, do high schools all around that area. So it's kind of spread. And all those parties promoted those hotel parties, then promoted ballroom parties, then promoted, like, a bigger veterans auditorium party, auditorium parties, and that promoted the sports arena party. And how many people were in the sports arena? 10,000. I mean, that's a and lot of people. And it was just DJs. That's crazy. That's yeah, wild. That was unbelievable. I wish we had phones back then to video and to record that because that was amazing. What was the show like? Just DJs. I mean, Roger had a, a format how to play music for those four hours from 10 to 2. He knew exactly how to, how to, to hype the party from the beginning, opening the doors to, to the end. We started the party out like from 10 to 11 when the doors first opened, playing all the brand spanking new music that the radio don't even have yet. So as soon as the song came out, we would always listen to it and say, this is hot. So as soon as the door is open, we'll play this hot beat, this hot record, and everybody's like, what is that? And they, they, they're walking into the, the, the sports arena, and they're hearing this record they never heard before, but it's just jamming. We knew it was going to be a hit. Then from 11 to 12, we start playing, you know, the known funk records, like whatever Rick James had out at the time, Barquets, Funkadelic, um, Cameo, One Way, Confunction, whoever had a hot record out, we would play that in that hour. Go into like some Prince stuff in the next hour after that. So Prince was really hot, and we were like a freaky promoter too. So but this was like beginning of the 1980s. So this yeah, was early like, 80s. So this was like Dirty Mind Prince. Yes, like hey, the kind of raw electro, song. nasty, dirty. Yeah, it head, head was Prince's huge song. We never wasn't on the radio. We were the only ones playing it. And then the final hour will be the electro hour. We're playing like Planet Rock and Scorpio from Grandmaster Flash and Survival and Murder Rock and Kraftwerk and just just up-tempo until the end of the night. And people left there saying, I need more of this. And they'll come back to the next one. It seems like those early Prince records were a big influence on you along with... Oh, definitely. With I mean, it was freaky. It was 
um, that's where I got my whole rap style from because Prince did a rap on one of his songs and said like people call me rude I wish we all were nude I wish there were no black and white I wish there were no rules and I'm like that's a chant it's not a rap and I want to, that style to be mine so the beat I got was from Kraftwerk but the the vocals and the lyrics came from Prince. We'll have more with the Egyptian lover when we return from a quick break. Still on the docket, the ultimate meet cute. Egyptian lover tells me how the band Kraftwerk helped him meet his wife. It's Bullseye for MaximumFun.org and NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Smartwater. Smartwater is for the curious drinkers, the ones who are always looking for ways to make things a little better. That's why Smartwater created two new ways to hydrate. Smartwater Alkaline with 9 plus pH and Smartwater Antioxidant with added selenium. And now you can order Smartwater by saying, Alexa, order Smartwater. Smartwater, that's pretty smart. Hey everyone, it's Ophira Eisenberg, and here I'm chatting with one of Queer Eye's Fab Five, Anthony Porowski. What's a culinary deal breaker for you? Ketchup on hot dogs makes me really uncomfortable. Listen to NPR's Ask Me Another, the answer to life's funnier questions. Hello, I'm Mujan Safagari, and I play a bunch of characters on Mission to Zix, an improvised science fiction podcast on Maximum Fun, and this is our incredible sound designer, Shane. Hello. Now, Shane makes it possible for me to play a thousand billion characters in our galaxy. Such as the Bajarian Jane, Ship of the Stars. And the Infosexual, prepare to eat pancakes. Emissary Turkmanikin. Hey, I just got another M. And the horrible life! Ah! Oh, also there are five other cast members, and we'll give them just all a second to say hi. Uh, hello. Yeah, that's enough. Okay, so the season finale of Mission to Six is coming out next week, so it's the perfect time to dive in and catch up with our intrepid crew as they explore the Zix Quadrant. So give us a listen to Mission to Zix on Maximum Fun. You're listening to Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is Greg Broussard, better known as the Egyptian lover. Well, let's take a listen to uh, your iconic signature hit, Egypt, Egypt. My guest is Egyptian lover. Something interesting that I read you saying about this record and a lot of your early work was that because you had come to music as a DJ, you were basically unconcerned with song structure, traditional song structure. Like I had no idea what song structure was. <laughs> <laughs> this song was actually created by accident. I wrote another song called Beast Beats. And um, I decided not to make that record because I would have to sell my soul to the devil to make this record to be a star because that's what he told me it was going to happen. So on the way to the studio, I'm like, I can't make this record. So when I got to the studio, I, changed, I erased the beats and did different beats and filled the whole 808 up with different beats. The programming was still 
there, but the beats were different. And I changed the tempo, sped it up a little bit. And then um, the rap came from different records that I, that I was writing that weren't complete. So I took like three different songs and made this record. So if you listen to this record, it's really messed up. I mean, none of the verses match. Like one of the verses, like, pyramids are oh so shiny. Egypt, Egypt. And another verse is, give me a freaky kink nation. But they, they don't match. Then another one is the vocoder. I'm the Egyptian lover, sexy. So it's three different total songs. So I thought to myself, well, I'm going to do it like a mega mix. And when it, finished, when, it, when it was finished, I said, you know, it sounds like a good DJ record. But I didn't know it was going to be a big record. I just knew it was good for me DJing at Uncle Jam's Army. <laughs> right. You made that record yourself. I mean, you put it out on your own record right. label. Put it on my own record label and distributed it, and, and it starts selling like crazy. And I'm like, okay, so maybe the DJs are buying it or the dancers are buying it. But what was good back then is even the DJs were buying two copies at one time to play one side and the B side or mix the, mix the same side together. So instead of selling, you know, 100,000 records, you would sell 200,000 because people were buying double copies. But then the, um, not just the DJs, but everybody started buying it. And it just started selling like crazy. And it was like, wow, okay, this is a good one. Did it feel like an L.A. thing then? I mean, did it yeah, feel like definitely. it belonged to where you were from? It was definitely an L.A. thing. I never thought that record would ever, you know, be big anywhere else. It was just the L.A. thing because L.A. was all about the freak with the up-tempo beat. And that was it. It was a freak beat. That's what we named the label Freak Beat because it was just a freak beat. What does that mean? A beat you can freak to. A freak was a dance that everybody was doing at the time. And the dance lasted probably nine, ten years, <laughs> and everybody was just freaking, was just, just a guy and a girl grinding on each other to the, well, on a rhythm. Let's hear some more music from my guest, Egyptian Lover, and his debut album, On the Nile, from 1984. This is I Cry Night After Night. I cry in the night Because, girl, you're never, ever with me I know it makes no sense to cry But this ain't the way my life should be So I heard that this song was inspired by, and I think everyone's uh, out there listening <laughs> already knows the name I'm going to say, Dean Martin. Definitely. <laughs> a song that he made called um, Crying is it, um, Crying Time. So he yeah. was saying, like, in the middle of the day is when I lie, but the middle of the night is when I cry. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. Like, this dude who got all these women, you know, Matt Helm, <laughs> this, this player hanging out with Frank Sinatra in the Rat Pack. Is crying over a girl and like that's cool. I want to I want to do a song like that, and so I went to the studio and did the beat, kind of hard beat, and then I softened it up a little bit and then put the music behind it and, and did "Roll I Cry." I feel like a lot of musicians um, get into making music, especially pop music, uh, because they are hoping it will lead to romance. <laughs> I feel like every one of your records is basically entitled. I am making this song because I'm hoping it will lead to romance. <laughs> like You are leading with the fact that your goal right. here is to meet somebody. To meet a freak. Yeah. It's different. <laughs> meet, meeting a girl and meeting a freak is two different things. <laughs> you can meet girls all day long, but to meet that freak. As I understand it, the freaks come out at night. Is that correct? Not in L.A. Okay. They, day, <laughs> night, don't matter. 
<laughs> the freaks are always out in L.A. <laughs> what records would you play when you were DJing those Uncle Jam's Army's parties at, you know, for 10,000 people at the L.A. Sports Arena? Man, we, so many records. <laughs> like um, Let It Whip was a big, a big song, Hit and Run. Um, Give It To Me Baby, all Prince stuff, like I said, uh, Lady Cab Driver, Let's Work, um, DMSR was big, um, The Time was big, Get It Up, The Stick, The Stick was huge, um, a, lot of, a lot of songs, um, O'Brien, um, and also um, Lady T, and she had another group called Ozone, and they did a song called Jigolette. That song was huge because it sounded like Square Biz by Lady T, Tina Marie. But she produced this other song, and it was great. So if you can play Gigolette by Ozone, you'll see what I'm talking about. Well, let's listen to it. Why not? Yes. I'm always down for Lady T. So we talked about how much you love Prince. We talked about how much you love Kraftwerk. Right. I know that you were hearing Prince on the radio. Mm. Where did you hear Kraftwerk? Well, Kraftwerk is a long story. So in high school, I was really in love with this one girl. I mean, I wrote her a 16-page poem, and I just really liked her a lot. And um, when I graduated, when school started back, she actually knocked on my door. So I lived in the back house and my parents lived in the front house and she actually came to the back house and knocked on the door and I'm still asleep because, you know, school was over for me. <laughs> I'm out of school. And I looked through the, the the curtains and it's like, oh my goodness, it's her. Oh my goodness. So I'm throwing some clothes real fast and I opened the door. She said, um, can you put this record on a cassette tape for me? Because I don't have a record player, but I listened to it on my father's record player and I like it and I want to hear it again. And I, she gave me the record, and I'm like, sure. And I looked at the record, and it was kind of weird. These four guys, the white guys, they looked like they're in a computer or something. Like, okay. <laughs> but she liked it. So, of course, I'm going to like it because she liked it. So I'm going to give it a chance. So I put it on, put the tape in, and I started listening to it while I was recording. I'm like, oh, it's, it's futuristic. It sounds pretty cool. And by the time I got to like <laughs> the, the last song on side B, I'm like, I love this music. I don't care, you know, what she think about it. I absolutely really love this stuff. It's futuristic. So when she came back to pick up the um, tape, she said I could have the record. That all she wanted was a tape because she don't have a record player. I'm like, really? Thank you so much. Thank you so much. So I had the record. And I was just listening to it all the time, and I always wanted to make a rap to that numbers beat, but I didn't. I didn't do it yet. And that summer. We were sending the tapes in the, in the store, like I said, and I, saw, I heard Planet Rock, like, oh, they beat me to it. That, that's exactly what I wanted to do, make a rap to that numbers beat. And eventually it happened. <laughs> I did it one day. And so our 10-year reunion came up at, at our high school, and um, I went to the reunion. I saw her, 
I said, you know, um, since you gave me that that Crawford record, I started making my kind of music like that. She said, oh, really? I said, yeah, because thanks to you, I'm doing you know what I'm I love to do. And so we start dating, and I end up marrying her. <laughs> That's fantastic! Congratulations. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for taking all this time to be on Bullseye. It was so great oh, to get to sure. talk to you. The Egyptian lover, everybody. He's still performing and recording today. He's pretty much constantly touring the world with his 808 in hand. Check out if he's coming by your town anytime soon on the Bullseye page at MaximumFun.org. That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye produced at MaximumFun.org World Headquarters, overlooking MacArthur Park in beautiful Los Angeles, California, where this week, Wilshire Boulevard, right outside our office, is being transformed into a weekend carnival. Looks like a lot of fun if you like Tilt-A-Whirls. The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our producer is Kevin Ferguson. He is away from the office, so Raghu Manavalan stepped in for him. Jesus Ambrosio is our associate producer. We get help from Casey O'Brien. And our production fellow is Jordan Cowling, who for some reason, I just learned, has a Gallagher record on her wall. Ugh. Our interstitial music is by DJW, also known as Dan Wally. Thanks to Dan for sharing it with us. Our theme song is Huddle Formation by The Go Team. Our thanks to them and Memphis Industries for letting us use it. And before you go, did you know that Bullseye has been around for almost two decades? That means hundreds of interviews with some incredible guests. If you're into old school hip hop, can I recommend our interviews with Master Ace, one of the nicest guys in hip hop and a brilliant artist besides. Just this week, my friend Blaine Capach, who is one of the uh, funniest comedy writers and stand-up comics in the world, tweeted a little joke about the comic book American Splendor by Harvey Picar. And it reminded me that I had the chance to talk to Harvey Picar way back when. I mean, I'm talking about 15 years ago. And if you search for my name and Harvey Picar's, you can find that in the Bullseye archives. It is a great interview. He was like the uncle that you wish you had, assuming that you wish you had a, a grumpy comic book writer uncle. Which I guess I did. All our past interviews are on our website, MaximumFun.org. You can also find them in your favorite podcast app. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. This week's episode is easy to find on YouTube. Just search for Bullseye with Jesse Thorne. And I think that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. NPR.